How many people were here last week? Dr. Savell ministering to us, and he's also going to finish out that message over the next two Sundays as well. And so you don't want to miss that. Um, but I want to read uh, what he had given us. Um, and he says this, Contrary to what you might hear in the days ahead, it's still the year for my people to experience the open hand of God. So tell them, I'm not done, and the best is yet to come. And in hard times, I will rescue them. I will rescue them. Amen. You know, when we have a word like this, one, it tells us that, that there might be hard times that we might be facing in the future, right? So we can, we can praise God for that word, but at the same time, it's telling us that there, there might be hard days ahead, right? So what this word is doing is, is this word is preparing us on how to be ready when hard times come, I mean, we, we're in hard times. It's not, we're not waiting for it. There's, you know, we're, we're seeing hard times all around us. Timothy says that in the last days, it'd be hard to deal with and hard to bear. Right? So, so we know we're living in the last days. And so what we are doing is as, as your pastor, what I'm doing is I'm preparing you and I to be strong. That's been my assignment for the last couple months when I've ministered is to be strong in spirit. Amen. And so that's what I'm endeavoring to deposit in our hearts is about being strong in spirit. Now it says that he, he will rescue them. Rescue them. I want you to say this. I'm a them. <laughs> say it again. I'm, I'm a them. Let's look at Proverbs chapter 18. I want to get ahead of myself. Verse 14, it says, The spirit of man will sustain him in sickness, but who can bear a broken spirit? Now it says the spirit of a man, and at the end it says broken spirit. So in the last part of this verse, it gives us the the disposition of this person that at the end, the person that can't bear is the person that has a disposition of someone that's a broken spirit. If I have a broken spirit, I'm not going to be able to bear difficulties when they come. So the first part of it says the spirit of a man. So it, that's, that same word spirit is also not just speaking of spirit, but it's speaking of a disposition. It's a certain kind of a spirit. It's a, it's, it's defining a certain spirit for us. And it really lets us know that it's the strong spirit of a man is going to sustain him. A strong spirit of a man will give support. A strong spirit of a man will give relief, will make provision, provision, will nourish, will feed. So if I have a strong spirit, then what's going to happen is it's going to cause me to be sustained when I'm in the midst of adversity. So when hard times come, where am I at? Am I going to have a strong spirit or am I going to have a broken spirit? We're going to have a strong spirit. Say this, my spirit is strong. Say this, it doesn't matter what I might face. My spirit is strong. Let's go to Ephesians chapter six. I don't have time to go back and, and do some review on this, but Ephesians chapter six. 
verse 10. These have been our two key scriptures. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able. That you may be able. So he's talking about ability. So there's something that I've got to put on if I'm going to have ability. Here he said, be strong. Last week or two weeks ago, I talked about how this is a encouragement. Be strong. This is a correction. If you're not strong, get strong. You know, so, so he's saying be strong. And then I talked about identity. Be. If, you know, if someone is weak or someone is strong, then that can recognize their, their, their identity. Oh, well, that person is short. That person's tall. That person's lazy. That person is, is diligent. So, so those uh, um, adjectives, so to, so to speak, is setting an identity to something. So he's also talking about your identity needs to be strong. Who you are needs to be strong. Church of Ephesus, I'm telling you, you need to be strong. Church of Heritage, you need to be strong. Be strong in the power of his might. Now, I'm not strong in my own ability, but I'm strong and I have ability in his might. It's his might. It's not about all that Justin can do, but it's about his might in my life. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Here it says again, that you may be able. Able. So, so there's something that I'm going to have to have if I'm going to overcome the attacks of the enemy. That you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. As I said a couple weeks ago, I talked about identity and the importance of identity. But as I go forward, I want to ask you a question. I want to to make a statement. Satan fears... The day you find out who you really are. Let me say that again. Satan fears the day you find out who you really are. So the first thing he tells us to put on is he says that your, that your waist would be girded with truth. And we talked about the word of God and, and we unpacked that a few weeks ago. But I, I, I just couldn't get away from that. And, and we'll, we'll talk about this, this understanding who you really are. But everything comes back to this truth, your waist. King James says your loins girded. It means to wrap around with the belt. It means to fasten this truth around you. It's, it, it means it's so close to you that it becomes a part of you. Uh, James says it this way, receive the engrafted word. He says, lay aside all, all things of your flesh and with meekness receive the engrafted word, the engrafted. Engra- to engraft something means to make it a part of it. 
It doesn't just mean to, to all of a sudden, I'm, I'm going to put it on like a, like, a, like a coat. No, no, it actually is a part of me. It's just like my skin would be. That's, that's how close this is. It's a part of me. That receive the engrafted word that has the ability to save your soul. So receive this word. So, so here he says, put on this, this belt, put on and that your waist is girded with truth. This truth is something that we have to hold on to because this truth is what shapes our identity. And you may ask, well, what do you mean your, your truth shapes your identity? Let's change the word for a moment from truth to just information. Your information up to this time in your life is what's shaped your identity. Maybe you've heard your entire life you're a failure and you'll never make it. Maybe, maybe you heard, well, your mother and your father were failures and you'll be a failure too. Maybe you've heard your entire life that, that, that you'll, never, you'll never have money, you'll never be out of debt, you'll never be prosperous. You're just going to be like your family was. You're, you're never going to get beyond where you are. Well, this is how you've been for the last 20 years, and you'll probably be like this for the next 20 years. And the sad thing to say is people, if they're not careful, will meditate on that information so much that it becomes their truth. And next thing you know, they're holding on to this truth. The enemy will say, oh, well, you're a homosexual or you're, you're, you're a transgender or you're this. And people are trying to seek all sorts of information from the world, trying to shape their identity. And they're getting all this information from different places. And the next thing you know, they, they treat it like it's truth when really it's deception. And the next thing you know, it becomes the reality. And so we're so quick to wrap ourselves around us the information that we've heard in our lives our entire life. Instead of taking the word of God and girding it around us. Your identity in God is so much greater from where you came from Your identity is so much greater than your gender. Your identity is so much greater than your race. I I said this a few weeks ago. I said, so often we try to exalt our natural divisions above our identity in Christ. That's why this isn't a white church, a black church, a Spanish church. I'm telling you, the blood of Jesus is red and that's all that matters. For people say, oh, we have friends that go here and they said, oh, you go over to that white church. I'm like, really? I've heard all sorts of things. I mean, as pastors, you you hear some really comical stuff. It's kind of hilarious. Because we have to totally get out of our minds on how, how our lives and our thinking has been shaped our entire life. Gird, your wa- gird around your waist the truth. See, the enemy is always wanting to try to steal and take away God's truth. 
because the whole point in this scripture, he's saying, he's saying, you know, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. He's saying what put on this whole armor so what we can stand against the wiles of the enemy, right? These are the schemes. These are the plans. These are the thoughts of the enemy. So it's the thoughts of the enemy that's trying to keep us from who we really are and stepping into our true identity. So the first thing he says, he goes, he's girt about your loins around with truth. Why? Because if you don't gird around this truth and hold to this truth, the enemy will take it from you. You're like, well, well, that might work for, for Pastor Phil, but that wouldn't work for me because of this, that, and the other. No. The word of, word of God says it to you, then you have a right to it. That's, you know, why you're like, hold to this truth. That's why the Bible in James, in James, it says, it says, look at this word as if you were looking into a mirror. Look at this word as you're looking into a mirror. But the problem is, is, is we may come to this word on Sunday and it says that when you walk away from this mirror and it says, it says you forget the man that you really are. So when you exalt a truth that's higher than this truth, you're going to be deceived and you're going to let go of your identity. And I'm telling you, Satan fears the day that you find out who you really are. I'm telling you, Satan fears the day when the church really finds out the purpose of unity. Satan fears the day that we really find out on why we've been filled with the Holy Spirit. Satan fears the day that you get a hold of the word of God. Satan fears the day that you stand on the word of God. Satan fears. He fears this. He's afraid of you. You know, he, he was afraid of the Messiah. He was afraid that way throughout, throughout time. He went, he, he tried to kill every major leader. He tempted them. He, even great leaders like King Uzziah from a young age, it said, as long as he sought the Lord, he was made to prosper, but yet eventually got him over into pride. Why? With David, one of the greatest leaders in and rulers the world ever seen what he tempted him with Bathsheba. Why? Because the enemy was out for whoever was going to destroy him. You're like, what do you mean, pastor? God's prophetic word. Genesis 3.15. Serpent, there's one coming. There's one coming that's going to bruise your head and you're going to bruise his heel. So from then, then on out, Satan's like, is it Abraham? Maybe, maybe it's Noah. And see, he got to Noah days and Satan's sitting back. He goes, see, he goes, he goes, every mind, every mind is evil continuously. I've got them right where I want them. So no matter who you look at, why do you think that, why do you think the leader Pharaoh in, in Deuteronomy, it said, he, he said he was afraid or Exodus chapter one, he goes, he goes, Pharaoh was, was in fear because now the Jews had multiplied. And if we don't do something about this, the Jews are going to become greater than us. So what did Pharaoh do? He says, go out and kill everyone that's two years of age. Do you think that was really Pharaoh wanting to do that? Or was that, was that, um, this deliverer, this deliverer is going to come from Jacob this delivers. So, so what I think Satan's whispering in the ear of Pharaoh, it wasn't about Pharaoh, but it was Satan said, maybe if you kill the, where the deliverer's going to come from, then he's not going to bruise my head. Why, why do we see with Herod, another leader, 
All of a sudden he, he gets word and he, he sends out, he sends out shepherds. He sends these wise men out. He goes, he, he goes, can you go find out where, where he's going to be born? No, he wanted to know where he was going to be born so he could take him out. Because, because what happened is the people he told to go out never showed back up. And it'd been two years later. And that's why he goes, go and go to this area. And I want you to go kill everyone that's two years, two years of old and younger. Cause it's gotta be, it's gotta be him. It's been two years. So kill every male. But yet God speaks to God speaks to Joseph and Mary and says, go down to Egypt. You see why? Because, because Satan was afraid of the Messiah showing up. That's why even in the, in the, uh, after Jesus was baptized, I'm just talking in my heart. Is that okay? I have notes, but we'll see where this goes. Now think about it. You got the, the word of God really makes sense if you put it all together. And you see, Satan was afraid of the Messiah manifesting. Why do you think that when he gets baptized by John the Baptist and there's a voice that comes from heaven and says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Then what happens is Jesus was led into the wilderness and it said he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Now think about it. Now we know, we know the three temptations, but if you read Matthew's account, I believe it says he was tempted for 40 days. At the end of the 40 days is when Satan came with these last three. We don't know all the other temptations in between. We know he was tempted for 40 days, but on those last three, why do you think he was tempting Jesus? Because Satan heard the voice, this must be him. And so what happened, Satan shows up immediately. Because what happened is the Jesus, Jesus just received his heavenly identity. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. When will you receive your identity? But the moment that he received the identity, what happened? Satan came immediately. And what's, what's the temptation he says right there towards the end? The first of the three. If, if you be the son of God. Why? He's, he's challenging Jesus' identity. And the enemy's always going to try to talk you out of this identity to receive his identity. The same thing happened with Adam and Eve in the garden. The truth was they were made in the image and the likeness of God. But yet Satan comes to Eve and says, God just doesn't want you to eat this because if you eat this, then you'll be like him. But they were already like him. He's trying to deceive them out of who they already were. And so here, Satan, I believe it's kind of looked like this. Whatever that fruit was, Satan's kind of just throwing it up in the air and saying, yeah, Eve, we don't know. I, I believe this was actually a long period of time of building the, a relationship and hearing the voice of the enemy. And he's, you know, he's, you know, he's, you know, cause they said it was good to look at and he's, and, and he goes, 
He goes, you know, God just doesn't want you like him. That's why he doesn't want you to eat this. But then what happened? Eve said this. He goes, God said we shouldn't touch it. Well, God never said they couldn't touch it. He just said they couldn't eat it. So evidently Satan must be touching it because he's touching it and it's like, oh, nothing's happened to you. And they let go of truth. So when he says in Ephesians 6, take the whole armor of God so you can stand against the wiles of the enemy. What's happening in our society is people have been meditating on the wiles of the enemy. And then it, take, it, then it turns to behavior that then turns to action. But it all starts with not knowing their true identity. That's why we have to gird our waist with this truth. So when Jesus, after he was tempted three times, it said that, that last time it said Satan left him for more opportune time. Meaning Satan wasn't done. He was coming back. But it said that Jesus, it said that angels came and refreshed Jesus. And it said he came out of the wilderness in the power of the spirit. And then he went to his hometown and he stood up and he read Isaiah chapter 61. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he had anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. To heal the brokenhearted. What happened? He came out not just having... Not, he went in the wilderness having received his identity. But he came out of the wilderness walking in the identity. And the thing is, is a lot of times we've had our identity as head knowledge. But it's never become a reality in our Christian walk. Satan fears the day you find out who you really are. Can you say that? Satan fears the day I find out who I really am. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Hallelujah. Back to Dr. Sell's word again. What did he say? He said, I am not done. The best is yet to come. And in hard times, I will rescue them. I'm a them. Hallelujah. And the them he's talking about here are those that are strong in spirit. Hallelujah. Whether you realize it or not, each message that I'm, I've been taught along these lines is you're getting stronger on the inside. You might not be able to see it. You might not be able to see it out here, but you're getting stronger on the inside. Let's look at verse 1. It says, Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. But by manifestation of the truth, by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But even if our gospel is veiled... It is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of, this, uh, God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, 
lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. What does that mean? The God of this world is blinding the minds of people so they don't see the truth. That's what Satan's doing. So if you see everything that's happened in our society and things that are taking place, ultimately behind the root of everything, it is the God of this world that is blinding people to keep them from seeing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's go to Romans chapter 1. We're going somewhere. Romans chapter 1. Satan fears the day you find out who you really are. Romans chapter 1. Thank you, Father. Look at verse 16. It says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Remember, Satan, what does he do? He blinds people from being able to see the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? And that's truth. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For what? It is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first and also for the Greek. Amen. So he, take, he takes away identity. He takes away separation of races. He takes it away and he says this, that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. That, that everything changes at the point of the gospel. The God of this world does not want people to see the gospel because if they hear the gospel and see the gospel, then all of a sudden they'll recognize something they've never recognized before because that's where the power is. It's the gospel. You know, and and hearing the gospel preached, the good news preached and receiving it is the method and means of salvation, making Jesus the Lord of my life. But what's, what's happened is, is we've taken that as a point of, I received Jesus and I'm going to heaven one day and religion stopped there. They, they, they capped it there. It's like, okay, praise the Lord, Pastor Phil. I made Jesus the Lord of my life. I'm going to heaven one day. So let me sit back and let me do nothing and let me, uh, let me go about my way. I'm going to heaven one day, but you know what? I'm, I'm not gonna really change a whole lot because you know, but hey, I'm going to heaven one day. You know what? Well, no, there's other people that have calls on their life. And you know what? I'm just going to be a Christian and, and well, I'm going to go to church. But, but, you know, it may not go anything beyond that. But you know what? I'm saved. I'm saved. Well, praise the Lord. And I, I, I'm not making light of that. But if, if we stop at a salvation, if ex, a salvation experience, then what happened is the enemy has us convinced to never step into who we really are. And then we mental ascent of, well, you know, you know, I said a prayer 38 years ago, but you never, I've never allowed that to shape my future. And I'm not saying you're not going to heaven. I'm not the judge of that. That's not, that's not the point. The point is there's so much more and Satan fears the day you find out who you really are. Now, before I read further, I'm just going to go back and quote Ephesians six again. Take unto you the whole armor of God that you may stand against all the wiles of the enemy. He goes on to say, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Then he says it again, take unto you, wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the enemy in the evil day. Having done all to stand, stand therefore with your loins girt about with truth. 
Then it says, with the breastplate of righteousness. You see, the truth is what my identity comes out of. But what is this weapon? He says, this breastplate of righteousness. Now let's look at Romans 1 again. Verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first and also for the Greek. Now listen to this. For in it. What is it? The gospel. The righteousness of God is revealed. Righteousness is revealed. From faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now, there's a lot we could talk about in this one verse. But the gospel takes it a step beyond just this, I'm going to heaven one day. And it says that in this gospel, righteousness is revealed. Another way to interpret that is righteousness is made available. Religion has taught people throughout history that you can't be righteous. Religion has taught, you know, oh, well, you know, pastor, there's no right, there's none righteous, no, not one. Well, you know, you know, Isaiah says, you know, that righteousness is like filthy rags. Yeah, my natural righteousness is like filthy rags. But we're not talking about my righteousness. I'm talking about his righteousness. Righteousness is revealed. A couple weeks ago, I referred to 1 John in three different scriptures. In 1 John, it talked about Jesus Christ, and it says the righteous. It talks about, in in chapter 2, it says, Little children abide in him, Jesus Christ the righteous, that you can have confidence and not shame if you know he's righteous. But then in 1 John 4, it says, as he is. Who, Who is he? Jesus the righteous. As he is in this world, so are we. You're righteous. You're righteous. You are righteous. The moment that you made Jesus the Lord of your life, you are as righteous as you'll ever be. That that kicks over some sacred cows for some religious people. You are just as right. When you made Jesus the Lord of your life, you were just as righteous as you'll ever be. You are righteous. So this belt of truth, this this truth I hold on to, it is what's revealed. This gospel is what's revealed to me, my righteousness. And far too long, the enemy has tried to deceive and talk people out of who they really are. Why? Because the enemy fears the day you find out that you're the righteous of God in Christ Jesus. The enemy fears the day that as he is, so are you in this world. As Jesus is. As Jesus is, wait, wait a minute, you're talking about Jesus, the son of God, as he is, so am I in this world. You mean I can do what Jesus did? Yes, you can do. And Jesus said greater works than you do because I go to the father. Take the limits off your identity. Take the limits off the identity that the enemy is saying, okay, well, one, one day you'll be able to lay hands on the sick. 
One day, one day you'll be able to sing and praise God in front of people. One day, one day, one day, one day. No, no. Now you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Right now I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am righteous. I'm not now, I'm not saying something about myself this morning or about you that God didn't already say about you. He who knew no sin became sin that I would be made. Now it didn't say become. See, become would relegate a process, but be made is I'm made. I I was a sinner, but now I'm righteous. I'm righteous. I'm right. I'm just like Jesus. I'm just like Jesus. And so when I pray for sickness, sickness has to leave just like it left when Jesus prayed for them. The kingdom of God is not somewhere far away. Now, now think about Romans says this, Romans says this, it says, what does faith say? What's the right, what does the righteousness of faith say? It says, it does not say, this is Romans chapter 10. It does not say for, to have Christ come up and righteousness of faith doesn't say, okay, okay, Jesus, can you come down here and do something about it? No, it says, it says that righteousness it says, it's in my heart. It, it says, it's near me. That's what Roman, it says, faith is near me. It says, it's in my heart, in my mouth. Meaning, meaning my righteousness has nothing to do with Jesus having to do something else. My righteousness has nothing to do with, okay, Jesus, can you come do something about this? Can you come up from the grave again? Can you come down from heaven? And do, he goes, no, righteousness, faith is, is, it is near you. It's in your heart and your mouth. And it is the righteousness of faith of which we speak. Meaning because you're the righteousness of God, I have the ability to speak to things and see them change. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. I'm the rights of God in Christ Jesus. I'm the rights of God in Christ Jesus. We have to renew our mind to who we are because if we really did it, if we really knew who we are, I'm telling you our prayers, we would start praying bolder prayers. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Father. Righteousness. Righteousness. I'm strong in spirit. Because I know who I am. Hallelujah. Just nudge your, nudge your neighbors. I'm the righteous of God in Christ Jesus. Mm. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. I think I said a couple of weeks ago, you're like, well, pastor, you don't know what, I, what I've done. You don't know. What... Hey, start allowing who you are on the inside, your outside to catch up with your inside. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. I'm strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Why? Because I know who I am and I'm the righteous of God in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Mm. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Mm. Let's, go to, let's go to Psalms 92. I wanted to, I got off my notes a while ago, so I um, guess we'll just keep going this direction. So um, let's go to, go to Psalms 92. Now that you know that you're the righteous of God, hallelujah. 
Psalms 92. Look at verse 12. The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. The righteous shall flourish. Hallelujah. I know that I'm righteous, and because I know I'm righteous, I can't help but to flourish. You're like, well, Pastor, you, you know, I, I, I have this job and this is all my paycheck is. Well, right now it might be just what your paycheck is. But you, you step back and you say, I'm the righteous of God in Christ Jesus. And Lord, you said in your word that the righteous flourish. Yes. So, Lord, I thank you that you're causing me to flourish. You're causing me to flourish. You're going to cause my business to flourish. I'm either going to flourish here or you're going to make room for me somewhere else and I'm going to flourish there. But either way, I'm going to flourish. I'm going to flourish somewhere. It may not be here, but if it's not here, it's going to be somewhere else because I'm righteous, Lord. And you said the righteous flourish. And you said I w- they would grow like a palm. Meaning, meaning I don't move. I, I'm not moved in difficult times. I'm not moved. I, I'll bend all the way over. I'll bend all the way over when winds are hitting me. It doesn't matter. I'm the righteousness of God and I am strong. I, my roots go deep just like a palm tree. He goes and says, those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. Hallelujah. Now, I, I don't go to church to be, to be righteous. I, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not here today just so I can say, okay, whew, one more week. I'm, I'm righteous again. Cause I went to church. No, 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 no. Righteous people go to church. Righteous people gather. Righteous people like to gather with other believers. Cause Cause, cause iron sharpens iron, right? Hallelujah. Iron sharpens iron. So, so my righteousness with your righteousness, God on the inside of you and God on the inside of me, we become, we're so much greater than when we are by ourselves. Right? So, so here, here, here I'm planted. I'm planted. Why? Because, because that's what righteous people do. And it says, I flourish. And I like this. It says, it says, they shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing. The original translation of that fresh is full of oil and sap. Hallelujah. I'm full of oil and sap. Hallelujah. I'm sappy. I'm sappy. I've got, my wife will tell you I'm sappy. I'm oily. Just let that sap and that oil get all over somebody else. I, I, I mean, I'm telling you, this is what righteous people do. They, they're full of sap, meaning they have something to release to somebody else. I'm full of sap. I'm full of oil. Hallelujah. Now you got to understand something about there's two things that, that particular cedar trees or pine trees release. They release sap and they release resin. Am I right, Philip? 
You have a sap that's more watery and it, it goes up in, from the roots and goes all the way up to the top of the tree. And it, what it's called, it gives the uh, leaves vitality. If, if, you, if you've seen uh, uh, leaves that are withered, it's because there's not enough nutrients going up to, to the leaves. But yet resin is, is the thick sap that comes from the outside when either insects have attacked it or whether it's been damaged in some way. So what happens is, is I'm righteous and I'm full of sap and I'm full of oil. So it doesn't matter. I'm, I'm fresh and flourishing. I'm vibrant. I'm alive. I've got, I've got, I've got happiness in my life. I've got joy in my life. Hey, and when the enemy comes, I've got sap that can take care of the insects that can take care of places that I've been hit. Yeah. 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 I've been been knocked down, but you know what? I'm not knocked out. Why? Because I've got sap on the inside of me and I'm full of it. I'm full of it. I'm full of it. This is, this is someone that recognizes they're righteous. Hallelujah. See, when you know who you are, that's why the enemy doesn't, he's afraid that you find out who you are because then when you're righteous, you have something to give to somebody else. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Are you with me? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Go to Isaiah 32. Isaiah 32. Just want you to see some fruits of righteousness. Fruits of righteousness, you're flourishing, even, when, even in storms. Hallelujah. Isaiah 32. Thank you, Lord. Sometimes I don't tell you scriptures. Sometimes the verses and where I'm going because sometimes I don't know where they are. <laughs> so when I'm not going by notes, sometimes I'm like, I know it's there. I'm just not sure what verse it is. So it's like just following the Holy Ghost. So it's, it's somewhere like on the left side of the page, somewhere down there, over there. Isaiah 32, verse 16. Then justice will dwell in the wilderness. So even... even Justice, justice is in the wilderness and righteousness remains in the fruitful field. Now listen to this, the work of righteousness will be peace and the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance forever. When I, when I understand that I'm righteous, there'll be a peace about you that people will just say, Ashley, there's something different about you. There's just this peace. When you walk into a room, Ashley, there's just this peace upon you. You walk into difficult places and difficult situations. As a pastor, I have to rely on this. Because you know, I don't have an answer for every situation, but God does. I don't know, I, walking into a room where, where they, they just lost their seven-day-old child. And, and, and what do I say? What do I do? But, but afterwards, they, they said, well, there was just... You know, Pastor, we can't explain it, but when you walked into the room, there was just something that came in with you. And, there, and all of a sudden, where we, were, we, we, had, we didn't have any peace, all of a sudden now, it was just a peace that came upon us. Yeah, we still don't know how we're going to make it through this, but all of a sudden now, and, and you gave us that one word, you gave us that, that look and then that, that word and that touch, there was something that came. That's not Justin. It's not you in a situation. But it's his righteousness in you. His righteousness in you. And it says the effect of it is peace. And righteous, and it says the work, the work of righteousness will be peace. 
And the effect of it is righteousness, quietness, and assurance forever. Hallelujah. Let's go to Proverbs 28. Verse 1. You're receiving something this morning. Yeah. Say, I have a strong spirit. I have a strong spirit. Woo. Hallelujah. Give him praise. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I'll tell you, the word is life and health to us. Verse 1 says, The wicked flee when no one pursues. Thank you, Lord. I won't tell stories. <laughs> Lord said, not right now. The wicked flee when no one pursues. You know, just naturally, we just have a sin consciousness. You know, you could, I mean, you, you could be just driving. I, I go back and forth to Granbury a lot on, you know... Um, 377 and you can have your cruise control set and you're, you're at the right speed. But all of a sudden you see a police. It's like, wait a minute, I'm going the speed limit. Why? Because there's something, it's just this natural. It's like, am I doing something wrong? It's, 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 there's this, this natural. It's like, you know, you walk into a room and, and people are whispering and you think they're talking about you. You know, it's, or there's things that happen. And it's, there's this, the enemy, and, and it's why? Because, because there's just little things on the inside of us that, that we, we, we see ourselves with insufficiencies instead of seeing ourselves the way God sees us. And that's a little simple illustration. But here he says, the wicked flee when no one pursues. I remember being that person and, and, and after, you know, coming, coming and serving God, but then all of a sudden start going another direction and living a different way. And, you know, coming to church and I'd, I'd come and sit on the second row or the first row and then the second row. And then after a period of time, you know, I'm thinking this way, I'm doing this and I'm have these other actions. And next thing you know, I move a little farther back. Because you know what? After all, you know, I don't want the pastor to read my mail because I've been living in sin. And next thing you know, it's like a little, a little bit more time goes by. And next thing you know, I'm sitting in the back row. Well, because I don't want anyone really to see. I don't want people to just know, you know, really what's going on the inside of me. Why? Because that is this unrighteousness attitude that the enemy will deposit and it will cause you to run away from where you're supposed to be. And it says what the wicked, it said the wicked flee. Really, it means someone that feels unrighteous will flee. And yet no one's running after you. No one's running after you, but you're, you're still running. But then it says, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Righteous. When you know, see the enemy fears you finding out who you really are, because when you step into boldness, oh goodness, mm. boldness, boldness to step out and obey boldness to step out and obey. Hallelujah. Boldness, boldness. So when you know who you are, there'll be a newfound boldness, boldness on how you lay hands on people, boldness to, to speak a word into the life a boldness to maybe do something you've never done before. Why? Because you know that you're the righteous of God in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Go to James five and the Lord said, stop after this. 
James 5, because this deals with boldness. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let's look at verse 13. It says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let him pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord in the prayer of faith. Will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven him. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Now listen to this, the effectual, now this is connected to boldness, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man. Hallelujah. There's something When you know who you are, there's something that you can release. See, this is what Jesus released when he prayed. The fervent, effectual, boiling point, hot, boiling point, earnest prayer of a righteous man. Avails much. I think the Amplified says makes tremendous power available. When you know who you are, there is a tremendous power available to your life. I tell you, you are so much more than you think you are. Mm. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Mm. Lord, give us a vision. Give us a vision on the inside of who we really are in you. Thank you, Father. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Now listen to this. It says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. See, we look at Old Testament people and we see them as something supernatural or something beyond ordinary. But here, right after this, righteous man makes tremendous power available. He says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Actually, you're no different than Elijah. Hallelujah. Corey, you're no different than Elijah. Drew, you're no different than Elijah. What did Elijah do? What did Elijah do? Hallelujah. Man, we could go and we could talk about the miracles of Elijah. But it says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And get this, Elijah lived under an old covenant. You and I, we live under a new covenant. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly. This righteous man prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. What can you and I do under a new covenant when we know who we are? (laughs) Think about that for a moment. What can you do living under the new covenant, knowing that Jesus made you righteous, 
He was righteous based on natural works. We're righteous based on our faith in Jesus. Hallelujah. Take the limits off. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You have a strong spirit. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today. And I thank you that you are bringing strength to each one of us. I thank you that you are empowering every believer in this place by the sound of my voice. I thank you for a revelation. I thank you for, you said the word comes for inspiration. So I thank you, Lord, for inspiring us today to get a glimpse of the possibilities. I thank you, Father, that we are righteous. Mm. Stand to your feet. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Mm. Hallelujah. Mm. Thank you, Lord. Mm. Thank you, Lord. Put on the whole armor of God. Thank you, Father. Isaiah 61.10 says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. Now, why should this person rejoice and why should they be joyful? For he has clothed me with a garment of salvation and he has covered me with a robe of righteousness. So here Isaiah is writing and he's saying, I greatly rejoice and my soul shall be joyful in God. Why? Because I've been clothed with garments of salvation and he covered me with a robe of righteousness. You and I have something to rejoice about and we have something to praise about. Hallelujah, because we've been covered with a robe of righteousness. Can, can you give him praise this morning? Can you give him a shout of praise this morning? Hallelujah. I've been made righteous. Now get this. I'm not just, I'm not just covered anymore. I am. I'm not just covered anymore. I am. I'm not just covered anymore. I am. Woo. Hallelujah. I am righteous. Thank you, Jesus. Woo. Hallelujah. You're, you are. <laughs> thank you, Father. Oh, thank you, Lord. Lord, thank you that this word just settles in on our hearts. And thank you, Lord, for the fruit. The fruit of, one, a revelation of this righteousness. And then also, Father, that as this righteousness flows from our life, we will flourish. We will have peace. And we will have boldness. Like we never had before. Lord, I thank you for growing us up and growing us up quickly. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Give him a shout of praise, Pastor Phil.